One of the things I've learned is that my enthusiasm is catchy. And so I always feel like in my work, the more I can share my enthusiasm for my work and for what the communities are doing and for anybody's success, really, the more that other people gravitate towards it and and want to be a part of it, which is, I think, a great part of what I'm doing more of these days. This is Show Your Business Who's Boss. Listen in on behind-the-scenes, unfiltered conversations with my favorite business owner friends who take charge and make their businesses work for them. Don't just be your own boss. Show your business who's boss. I'm Pia Silva. We continue our What's Possible series today, chatting with entrepreneurs who have experienced tremendous transformations in their businesses in 2020 to see what really is possible in less than a year when you show up with consistent and focused attention. These are members of my program, Leap to Badass Authority, which I am opening the doors to for a limited time in November, but I'll tell you about that a little later in the show. Right now, I want to share these stories because it's all possible for you too, if you want it. Today, I'm so excited to be speaking with badass business owner, Alana Pruce. Alana's company, Recast City, helps bring local Main Street economies back to life by partnering with local leaders to bring businesses back to downtown, particularly small-scale manufacturing businesses. It's fascinating work, unlike anything anyone else I've ever worked with has been involved with, actually, and it's been equally fascinating to watch her apply these badass brand and business principles to her company, especially because nobody in her space is doing anything like this. Today, we're going to cover topics such as why Alana chose to apply these badass principles to her business, even though doing things like putting her prices on her website and packaging her services is unheard of in her industry, and the response that she's gotten. How COVID seemed like it was going to bankrupt her clients, and what she focused her efforts on in March and April instead that resulted in selling her lead products like hotcakes in August. And how systems have completely transformed how Alana spends her time in her business and has actually freed her up to keep chasing that next new and exciting idea, which is what I think a lot of us entrepreneurs want to do. So buckle up. Here we go. Hello, Alana. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Pia. I'm really excited to be here today. I'm so excited that you are here. I've actually known you for quite a while because you took my boot camp, I think, back in 2016. <laughs> Didn't I you? Think it, I definitely I took you your boot camp. got in early. I was definitely in your boot camp in the first version of it, um, the version that was web-focused before you went small business freedom-focused, although I did that one too in the end. <laughs> yeah, so you've been kind of implementing this stuff for quite a while. And I, I wanted to talk to you about have your experience because I think you're in a very interesting business, but also you're in a business that I haven't met anyone else is in. And so to see these concepts applied and to see that some of it was a struggle, I remember having conversations with you a year or two ago about like, I don't know if this is going to work. This doesn't seem right in my industry. So I I think you're a particularly interesting case study because even in your space, this has really ended up working really well. And I'm excited to see that. But before we get into that, I just wanted to, let's go back a little bit and just tell me a little background on how you got, what you were doing before you started this business. 
My background is in city planning. My degrees are in that. And I worked for almost 20 years in the uh, federal government and in the nonprofit sector with a little bit of consulting before that. I did a lot of policy work. And the part of the work that I loved the most was when I had an opportunity to go out to work directly with the community. So I ran a number of technical assistance programs, working with local governments and local leaders, um, focusing on redevelopment and reinvestment in downtowns before it became cool in the last decade or so to move back into cities. I, I did a lot of work helping communities look at housing choices and transportation choices and what I called the small p politics of getting things to happen and decision making. Didn't you just love working in government? <laughs> I was there for seven years and then I was really done. Okay. <laughs> working in the federal government meant that there was a limit to how many different things I could say because at, at all points I was representing this agency. So I could make suggestions, but I couldn't tell somebody, you'd be crazy not to do this. And it, so it, it very clearly limited what I could say and what I could do in support of these communities. So then I left that, my very secure federal government job, and I went to help work on this nonprofit. And I became the vice president and chief of staff of the nonprofit. And I got a chance to do advocacy, which was exciting. So I could run around the country and say, hey, we should support this kind of federal or state legislation to support reinvestment in communities, support housing choices, support transportation choices. And that was really, really fun. Except then I got to a point where I realized that advocacy was great, but somebody had to be on the ground in the mess, actually getting not only legislation or policies passed, but really getting people to talk to each other in a different way about what was possible in the community. And, and I started trying to figure out what that looked like. And I actually spent almost two years exploring, you know, I was pretty, pretty advanced in my career and tried to figure out what it would look like to make a really big difference in this outcome of how do we make great places for more people. And I, I spent a lot of time talking to all different people who did all different interesting things and ended up on small scale manufacturing, which was this crazy thing that nobody else was talking about at the time, which is any business that makes a product. And what can they do for our local economy and for our downtowns? And at the time, there were some really big real estate developers that were looking at this type of business as an essential piece. And I found all these other great benefits to, to putting these businesses back in the middle of our cities, which was the beginning of the evolution of creating Recast City. I've known you for a little bit, and you're pretty risk averse in some ways. And yet, <laughs> not only did you go out on your own, but but this seems like you also made this concept of a business up while going out on your own. I mean, a lot of people go out on their own to do something that other people have done, but you seem to have created your own space. Yes, what I absolutely did. <laughs> How um, did you do that, Alana? What drove I, you that? I learned about myself many years ago that I am not very good at doing something that a lot of people know how to do. I am happiest professionally when I am digging in a new hole, trying to figure out a new thing, a new mess that nobody else has figured out. And I learned that about myself years ago hmm. because I would, I, I had a wonderful opportunity to work with somebody who gave me these messes, who saw this skill in me and said, okay, here's an idea, turn it into a something. And so I did that over and over and over again in these very secure jobs. And that 
beginning process is something I really love. And so I love not knowing the answer. Mm. And that's not true of a lot of people. Most people. <laughs> including <Yeah>. my husband. <laughs> like, the, a lot of people like to know the answer. They like to know the system and they yeah. like to know where it goes. I am happiest when I don't know the answer and I have to figure it out. And I get to use that creative part of my brain. Actually, one of the goals, one of the whys um, that I write down for myself every day is about challenging my brain is because it's, it mm-hmm. is happiest when there are unknowns. That being said, I like logic and I like understanding systems. And so when you talk about me being risk averse, I like really understanding what's going on behind a situation before I move into it. So for instance, I, I launched my business. I had one client that was my old uh, nonprofit when I launched. And I sent an email to everybody I knew that said, here's this concept of what I'm doing. And I had a strong enough network at the time that just sort of blindly sending that out, I got my first few clients. And the content of what I was doing was taking everything that I knew from my work in the nonprofit and the federal government around providing this technical assistance to communities and turning it into something specific to small-scale manufacturing and downtowns and community economic development. And so it was taking a system I knew really well and adding other topics to it. And that's what I've been refining over the last six years is all of those pieces. So you like problem solving? I do. Do you like strategy games? I do. I love strategy games. (laughs) Stratego, when my kids were younger, love that game. It took them a really long time to be able to beat me at that game. I don't know what Stratego is. Your kid's too young. Oh, okay. I I mean, I used to, even as a kid, love strategy game, love card games, hated any card game that didn't have the strategy. I was like, what is the point of this? Like, war? Why would we waste our time? Like get some spades in there. Okay. I'm, I'm getting it. I'm getting why we get along so well. Uh, (laughs) That's really cool. I I can totally relate to the, the fun of figuring it out. And, and if someone's already done it, it's just not as motivating because they've already done it or wanting to to put your own spin on it. So it sounds like you were not want for clients. You had enough contacts that you were able to pitch and stuff. But you've also told me that at certain points in your business, you weren't sure that you could really grow it. Why did you believe you couldn't grow it? Or what was the challenge there? So my first two years out were all based on personal relationships in my network. I took the you know people in my field and I just sent them emails. And after a while, people know what you're doing. And, and unless you're, I think, unless I was ex- going to explain things differently or talk to them about it differently, it wasn't going to come up in a new way. And I give talks. I always gave a lot of talks. So whenever I was giving talks, I was finding more people. But I didn't have any specific way to find new people or build new relationships other than giving talks at conferences. And I didn't have any idea how to do that. And so I felt, I, I, I definitely felt many, many days where I had no idea what execution looked like. I didn't know how I was supposed to spend my day. Um, I was, if I was working on a project, it made sense, or if I was giving a talk. But other than that, it was sort of this void of social media or outreach and not having any idea what was the effective way to spend my time on that? How do I get in front of more people or even understanding at all a strategy around that? I mean, I had I had no idea because I'd never done anything like that around, you know, in my, in my previous jobs. 
Right, right. And I remember you told me once that you felt kind of almost slimy reaching out to people on social media. And that was one of the things that you thought yeah. you needed to do. And I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that. What, what, first of all, why did you feel slimy? Like what was going through your head when you would sit down to reach out to people, like put a voice to it? What were you thinking? I, I mean, I think to some degree, I'm, I'm a child of the eighties, right? I, I, rem- I think there is part of the sliminess and grossness of, of, of sort of sales and money of the eighties that is sort of ingrained oh. in my brain. Uh-huh. Um, that is definitely a limiting part of my mindset that I work very regularly to get past of like people who are constantly selling things are slimy. I mean, I, I live in Washington DC or right next to Washington DC and the sliminess of the, some of the lobbyists, you know, who are constantly trying to sell things it's nothing I want anything to do with. And I didn't have any understanding of what outreach as a form of marketing or relationship building as a form of marketing looked like because I'd never, other than just putting out, here's a research paper, you know, here's a project, which is what I did in in the nonprofit world. Mm -hmm. I didn't have any idea what it looked like to do marketing a way that was actually just my personality of building relationships with people, which is, I think, where I sit today. But I didn't have any model. I had no idea. And so the only models I had were, I'm a pretty upfront person, (laughs) as you well know. And my only model was, hey, I have this thing I'm trying to sell. Do you want it? And and that just felt (laughs) weird to do that way and not very effective either. And I think to some degree, it's feeling slimy. But I think the other part of it is feeling very vulnerable. I mean, the whole world of being a small business owner, to me, is all vulnerability, right? It's when I first put out an email to my email list, it made me feel vulnerable. What if they don't like it? What if they don't read it? What are they going to think about me? You know, or if I sent something out saying, hey, I'm, I'm doing this program. Are you interested? What if it fails? You know, and in the last six years, I've done all of those things. I've I've sent many emails that didn't really get that many opens and some that got a lot. And I've launched programs that nobody bought and did something else. And so, um, you know, I think that there's a lot of a lot of sort of repetition that's made a big difference. And I think the same thing around sales is understanding what's my voice and my way of talking to people. Somebody I worked with. You're the second coach I've ever worked with, but the the Julia Pimsler who I worked with before you, you know, she talked about not talking about sales, but talking about helping. You know, what are you doing to help them? And I think that that voice is is very helpful for me. Where I get on the phone with people now, and I, I say, you know, I'd love to hear about what you're doing, and I'm happy to tell you about what I do. But you know, and if there's something I can do to help, that's great. But I'd love to just meet. And that's honestly how I approach every one of those conversations, and it makes a world of difference for me. I can completely relate to those first emails, that first time you send out the program, whatever it is. I mean, the first year of sending out my emails to my email list, I would constantly obsessively refresh to see the open rate and every unsubscribe (laughs) felt like a, you know, (laughs) gut punch. And it was so, you know, just and and like friends would unsubscribe because they don't care because this is not their world. Because I put everybody on that list. Why do you hate me? (laughs) Absolutely. So I can completely relate. But as you said, repetition kind of waters that down. Also, not only do you get better, but you get to see that some work and some don't. And over the last few years, 
kind of decided that it's not really that you can hit a winner every time or you can get to a place where you're good enough, where every email is going to land or every article is going to land. It's more that the sheer volume of doing it, it will get better. And you get to see, sometimes I write articles, I'm like, this is brilliant. Nobody cares. Sometimes I write articles where I'm like, this is 101, so boring. And everyone's like, that was amazing. (laughs) So you can't quite know. You can only show up and do your best work, but only through repetition and volume can you really experience that, which you have done volume. I have now done volume, right. This year has, this last year has been about volume. Yeah. Um, And it's true. I mean, it is about chipping away at it in this level of volume and repetition um, that's made the the biggest difference. And you have written quite a bit, but you've always liked to write. No, I used to no. hate writing. Oh, you used to hate writing. You're such a great writer. <laughs> Thank you. It was one of my biggest mindset challenges when I started it. I had I had done a lot of writing professionally, but I always had I had a team of people so I could write and somebody else in my brain could fix it. Mm. Um, I also never wrote in my voice before having this business. And at the beginning of this business, I didn't really write in my voice. I wrote fairly formal kind of things. And so it's really been an exploration for me over the last bunch of years to find that voice and to feel like I can write in that voice with confidence. Having the structures of of your work definitely helped. It was also being able to say, you know, it's, it's super consumable in my voice. It, It is, it, doesn't need to be every point on the conversation. It's really about sparking conversation mm. more than anything else. And so um, that's that's been a lot of fun to settle into. So yeah, no, now I enjoy the writing a lot more because it is in my voice. And so I sit down and I think about how I would talk to people about something. And that's sort of what comes out on paper or a computer. Isn't it amazing that it's it takes a lot of work and and practice to be able to speak like yourself <laughs> to write like myself to write yes. like yourself yes because I always give talks that was never my challenge is I always loved giving right. talks. I always loved being in front of an audience I did it since I was a teenager and you did a TEDx a couple of years ago when was that that was nine years ago now <laughs> really it was it oh. just came up it's so funny um I did a TEDx um nine I years ended ago. up doing that I was obsessed with TED Talks at the time, um, and I um, didn't know how to get to a, give a talk at a TED Talk at a big TED event yet, um, and this was way before I, I started Recast City, and I decided I was going to give a TEDx talk. This was a decision I made, and so I hunted down through the TEDx website everybody who had licenses to, give te- to do TEDx events within my region, within like three hours of me. And I approached all of them and said, hey, I, you know, I want to give a talk. This is what I want to talk about. And there was a group of students at GW uh, University, George Washington University, who had gotten a license and were working on creating an event. And what I ended up doing was helping them create the event. And then I got <laughs> to give the talk, which was an Smart. amazing opportunity. Um, and I also, it just was great to work with a bunch of, of students who were, were just really smart and interesting. And I gave a TEDx talk about the economic power of great places. Well, it's a great talk. It's completely relevant to your business today. It's pretty amazing how powerful 
that brand and those talks can be for a business. So it's very cool that you did that before you even had your business. Maybe it's time to do another one. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) I think it was my first step in the direction of trying to think about all of this differently. In hindsight, I think it was sort of the first notch in what do I do with all of this knowledge and how do I get it out to people in different ways and how do I reach not just the wonks about this, but more people about how this can this work can make a difference. On that note, because you always gave talks and that's how you always connected with people, you were connecting with your face and your voice and you had to learn to connect with your voice through writing. But all of this has been about putting yourself in the forefront. How do you feel about that? It's really true. It's 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 hard. It's very it's been very hard for me to put my my personal self and my picture um out at the forefront in my social media as opposed to in person. This amazing woman, Jess Randolph, her firm is Jess Be Creative on my social media presence and and she takes all of these, uses all these pictures of me that, you know, we'd had, I'd headshots done, all these sort of lifestyle pictures done and by another amazing person. And every time Jess puts up a picture that's a post that has a picture of me on it, it gets many more eyes on it than anything else that we put up. And so as much as it made me squirm and be very uncomfortable, I just eat it. Like I just accept it that this is, if it works, then that's great. And if it feels makes people feel like they have a more personal connection with me and, and what I'm talking about, then, then let's do it. And I think that's one of the things that I've learned over the last few years is really getting out of the way of myself mm-hmm. and being willing to try things regardless of how I might think they're going to work or how they make me feel and just seeing what works and taking the step away from it. And so putting my, my picture out there um, is a part of that and then really getting more comfortable in writing in my own voice is also a part of that as well. And obviously, I mean, as you know, I wrote a book and the whole book is in my voice. And so um, I've now had a lot of practice writing in my voice with all of that writing. Yeah. And not just that, but your book is coming out in the spring and putting your face and yourself out there in order to promote this book is on a new level, I think is what's going to be necessary if you want this book to get into lots of people's hands. That was the impetus for me to put my face out there. I want people to read my book. They got to see me. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. No, the, and the book is, the book is my business. The book is me, yeah. right? Oh, um, yeah. You want not, everyone to read your book. That's right. the calling so, card now. Yeah. Right. So, uh, you know, it'll, this fall, this time now is all about, you know, how, what is the strategy around that? How am I going to get as many eyes as possible on it? Even just having the, I have the book cover right now and it's way before the book's coming out and I'm just sort of sharing the book cover because I'm so excited about it. But one of the things I've learned is that my enthusiasm is catchy. And so I always feel like in my work, the more I can share my enthusiasm for my work and for what the communities are doing and for anybody's success, really, the more that other people gravitate towards it and, and want to be a part of it, which is, I think, a great part of what I'm doing more of these days. I think you're also a really good example of, I think a lot of people talk about the purpose and their why and what motivates them. And and sometimes it can be hard to actually connect with what that means. And I, I see you being so motivated to help these 
downtowns develop and being so passionate about small scale manufacturing and actually being able to kind of, all right, I'm going to tackle the whatever fears or insecurities I might have about putting my face out there because fine, that's what needs to happen if I want to get this message out. The message is more important than whatever issues I have with putting my face out there. And I I can completely relate to that. Like, oh, I hate this. But is it going to make that happen? All right, fine. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I'll do it. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I truly believe in helping more people in more places thrive. Right. And I think that the best way to do that right now is by bringing small scale manufacturing businesses into a downtown or into a, a community main street. And whatever I can do to help more people in more places understand that opportunity and do something about it, I'm, I'm pretty much there to do whatever it takes. So everyone needs you right now. <laughs> I a think so. <laughs> I have been having a lot of conversations with people. <laughs> Yes, there is a lot of need. And there are some places that have figured it out where they are all in for their small businesses and they recognize that this is their future and every point of support is is going after their small businesses. They might not be doing small-scale manufacturing, but but they're figuring it out. Yeah. But I would say that that is the minority of places. But everyone has needed you this whole time. I mean, there are more places that are struggling now, but... This has been a problem for a very long time. Yes. And I know you struggled at a certain point and now it's kind of turning around. Can you tell me a little bit about what was harder about getting the clients before and what has changed? So what was harder before is that I would get new clients either by emailing something to my list or your list. My my email list was people I brought with me from when I left the nonprofit. So anybody who was a personal contact of mine came with me or people who gave me their cards when I gave talks or sort of natural, I don't even know what that means, natural exposure of my website and people signing up for my newsletter. Those were the only ways that people got on my list. Mostly it was people I met at conferences when I gave talks. And so I would take a stack of cards afterwards and they'd go into my email list. That was it. So, so first of all, that's a great point because yeah. I think a lot of people go, how do I grow my list? And then they want to just like post something and then all these people will join their list. But similarly, a lot of people in those first few years who joined my list were just from me speaking and getting their emails in person. But those yeah. are strong people to put on your list because they really built a relationship with you by watching you speak in person. Yes, they're great relationships. They're great mm -hmm. people. Um, still, people who see me give talks are, are much stronger relationships, yeah. but uh, there's a limit to how many talks I can do in a year, um, sure. especially when we were doing all of them in person, which I do do love and do miss. And so it, it was a limited amount of growth. So um, that the business exposure was really based on <laughs> this cycle that I went through it where I would have not enough work and I would do a ton of outreach, talk to lots of people from my list. I'd be on social media all of a sudden a lot do a lot of conferences and then I would get a whole bunch of work and then I would do a whole bunch of work and then I would finish the work and say, Oh crap, I don't have clients again. <laughs> and I would, it was this very awful cycle of not consistent execution. I mean, it was very clear what the problem was. And so when I really focused on getting new clients, I would get new clients, but there was no, no consistent. System. Uh, yeah. There was no system, no system at all. 
Right. As opposed to now, it's it's super, super clear. So much so that there is no adventure left in it. And it's about a, a, uh, execution, <laughs> which is a good thing. I keep reminding myself. Um, I have very, very specific things I'm doing. I am doing a ton on LinkedIn, which is where all, all of my content goes, new content goes up. Um, but also where I engage people in conversation about what other communities are doing because I'm connected to so many different people in economic development and planning and city managers on LinkedIn to really have conversations there. And so I, I, I do a lot of work on LinkedIn to, to share new blog posts and to share new content um, and the freebies that really give people videos or tools to, to understand more about how to do this. And that goes up on all of my platforms, but LinkedIn is where I really engage people in conversation about it. Wait, Um, so let's just break that down for a second, because particularly in the last about 12 months, you've put a lot of energy into building up that content and those freebies so that when you interact with somebody or somebody finds you, they have a lot to look at. Yes. Fair to say. So you can connect with them lightly, either because they saw your post or because you reached out to them, but then they can kind of get lost in your stuff. Yes. So if somebody looks at me on LinkedIn, there are, there's at least one post every day. Mm -hmm. It is mostly blog posts I've written. It's access to trainings that I'm offering for free. It's events that I'm speaking at. It's things other communities have done that I think are really great that I'm just sharing because I, I, as I tell a lot of people, LinkedIn is where I see the best ideas getting shared, and I'm happy to share them with other people. Going back to that same point of my goal is just for more places to succeed. And so anything I can do to get there is helpful. And And LinkedIn seems to be a very good place for my sector to convene in terms of the the leadership. So the economic development director or the planning director or the city manager. Yeah. Your people are on LinkedIn. So that's where you should be. You don't need to be anywhere else. Yeah. I'm trying to remind myself of that other part, but um, so. And let's just, let's just uh, point out that you are posting every day, but you're not going in and posting every day. No, no, no. I I review all of the content um, once every two weeks, uh, all of the new content once every two weeks. And then the, the amazing set, Just Be Creative, makes all of that happen. And and one of the things I've been sitting on that I know is part of my assignment is moving over to Recur Post. <laughs> Which will take that to a whole new level. Which will take that to a whole new level. And I have a whole control issue with use, using that platform, but I'll get Oh, there. interesting. Okay. We can talk uh, about that tomorrow. <laughs> But in general, it has gone from what do I do or I need to post all those things to actually you have a system. Yes. And that is a complete shift. Well, and I also have people, right? I mean, one of the people I started hiring people very part time to help me with social media. First, it was I was creating content and they were just posting it. Um, Then they were starting to help me create content. And now working with Just Be Creative, she creates the content for a two week um, cycle. I edit it and then she puts it all up. Um, and it goes across all my platforms, right? It's LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. So this, the content is going up in all those places. But because I'm engaging people so purposefully in LinkedIn, that's where my, yeah. my growth is happening. It's only going to be where you engage. Right. Anyway. And so now I'm trying to add in one more. But we'll see. Why? feels like I'm supposed to. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I just double down on what's working. 
Yeah, you keep saying that to me. <laughs> I feel like we've had that conversation. It's about the, giving the talks too. Yes. So, I mean, now I have really specific things that add to my exposure, right? I have um, outreach on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm using a, a tool with LinkedIn that helps me connect to more people consistently and actually get on the phone with more people to talk about what's going on in their communities. And I love having those conversations with people. I'm doing lots of talks for people, you know, online while we need to be online. And in some cases, I'm offering those talks for free in exchange um, for people when they sign up, register for the event. It means that they know that they're also signing up for my email list, um, which has been a you got hundreds of email signups the first time you did that. Yes. I I added 900 people to my list that way. For one talk. Talk. That was amazing. And more recently, I'd get 100 or 150 people. Yeah. Um, and even that, it's gold. It's great because there are people who signed up um, to hear me give a talk and either they heard the talk or they missed the talk and saw maybe saw the recording, but at least that they had an expression of interest. And so that's been that's been a wonderful way to to be able to expand my my email list. And then it's I think for me, it's really getting on the phone with more people, mostly through people who express interest through LinkedIn and talking to them one-on-one. Uh-huh. Really these one-on-one conversations with people that is leading to, to more projects in more parts of the country where I can really understand what problems they're facing, you know, where, where does their, their community on that continuum of had a downtown, but it's been neglected, have no downtown or have a little bit of momentum, but have a bunch of problems still. Uh, and and really be able to talk to them about what's going on there and, and then talk to them about what I do, which at this point, you know, having been through all of your programs, I have these very specific products that I'm offering. And um, it's, I think I'm the only person in my field who has these packaged products with prices online. And there's nobody else in the economic development and planning field that I found who do this. And I, as you know, was super hesitant to do that at the beginning. But yeah. I mean, you were hesitant and you still did it. How come? <laughs> I sort of believe anything's worth a try when it comes to the business. <laughs> a lot of people have said to me, yeah, I've never seen anybody in the field do this before. And my answer is I'm a really upfront and transparent person. And if you want to work with me, I'd love to. But, you, you know, I just want everything to be super upfront. And in some ways, it's now part of my brand, which is who I am anyway. Yeah. Right? When I work with a, a community or a real estate developer, I I am who I am at this point, and I am upfront about what I think about what's going on. And and if that means that that's part of my brand on my website, where they can just see what it costs and what it means upfront, then that's that's okay. Yeah, so much easier. So much easier. Yes, and you don't do the proposals anymore. You have officially replaced them with yeah. the lead product. Yes. Yay! <laughs> but that was a it was a journey. Oh yeah, it was not easy for me to figure out my lead product. It um, took a while. I and think once I figured a lot it out, it was struggle. still hard to understand what it was supposed to be. Yeah. So what was it at first? Because it didn't work for a while, and you stuck with it, which I'm very impressed by. I'm stubborn that way. I don't. It's so hard to remember what it was at the beginning. It was something that was much more like a a proposal, mm-hmm. much more like a traditional proposal that was not in any kind of persuasive positioning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think most people that try this on their own struggle with that as well. A lot of people right. just try to sell the proposal. 
but it has to have value for people to buy it. Right. And you have to believe it has value. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And I changed the lead product to what it is today. Must have just been at the beginning of the summer. Yeah. Well, we were kind of adjusting it all year. Yeah. It wasn't I mean, exactly we, that you changed what it was. It was that you changed what it looked like on the on the back end. And also some of the language around it. Um, not the core it. of the content. Yeah. Just the way I talked about it changed a lot. I think it was really in, at the end of the summer, it, it solidified into what it is now. Mm -hmm. And the feedback I get from folks is it's super clear. I understand the value and they're excited. And then it's a question of, especially for a jurisdiction, it's a question of, do they have the funding behind it to move on to the next step? Mm -hmm. But I'm actually very upfront with people in that introductory call about, you know, this is what the lead product costs and this is what the, you know, the lead, my, my lead product is called a recast spark. And then the, the product that comes back after that, if they want to move forward, is called a boost. And I'm very clear about what the pricing is for both of those things in that initial call because my lead product is so low cost. Um, because I want to make it really easy for communities to come in the door and understand what the opportunity is and what could happen in their community. And I like keeping it inexpensive because of that. And sometimes it's a lost leader and that's okay. The point of it is to bring them in and start working with them and start right. helping them. Exactly. Um, the other thing that I did out of all of it um, was a product that I tested out last year and the year before that, which was a cohort model program where I could take a whole bunch of communities together and train them and mentor them through implementation in places that really want to build their capacity as opposed to have somebody on the outside do it with them. So, I mean, all of my projects, even when I work one-on-one -on -one with a community is it's a partnership. It's really, it is about building capacity, but by doing it in a cohort model, I really work to make it more affordable for a bunch of communities in a region or in a state to do the program altogether. While still keeping it profitable. While for still you. keeping it profitable. <laughs> yes, it is still a business. Yeah. And, it, and I mean, from a business perspective, that cohort is to me a big part of what I need to invest in and, and mm -hmm. talk to people about moving forward because I can do more of that product at once. There's a limited number of one-on-one -on -one work I can do with communities sure. till I get to the cup because I do when I work one-on-one -on -one with the communities I'm doing all of the interviews with small business owners with all the property owners with all these other people in the community and there's the amount of time that that requires is it's an amazing thing to get to do with a community but it it limits how many I can do in a year right but as as listeners will continue to hear over and over again it is the journey of you know, building the brand, building the authority online, bringing the clients in, working one-on-one, -on -one, building that process, going to the one-to-many model. I mean, it, it, it's hard to jump straight to that. Right. No, it's impossible. And, and I did it once um, with funding from Etsy uh, last year for the right. Etsy Cities program. So I, ran, I had the cohort model um, for them for 12 months, which was amazing. And I'm talking to a whole bunch of states and, and regional governments and, and other entities like that about it for next year. And, and I, think it is a, I think it is a big part of my program moving forward. And then the other question for me on the one-to-many question is, if, when do I create the online training for all of this? When Which you're I, making enough money and have enough time set aside to then move on to the next one. Just right. level jumps. Yep. Well, I mean, let's go back a second this year because COVID knocked everyone down. Oh yeah. Including you. And I think for a second there you were like, 
my target market isn't going to have money forever. Right. <laughs> They're all going bankrupt. I had my busiest time ever on my website during COVID and the least amount of work ever. Right. And how did you mentally get through that? What did you, what were you thinking and what were you doing? What actions were you taking? I think the thinking that I was doing was really similar to the other parts. What can I do to be helpful? I believe in places. I believe in people. I believe more places should be able to survive. What can I do to just be helpful in this moment? And so I ended up putting a lot of content up that was just really clear about what communities could do for their small businesses, what kind of programs from the federal government that small businesses could access because the information that was going out was so confusing. And so I had, you know, one very basic post that was about the difference between the paycheck paycheck protection program money and the EIDL, uh, the economic injury disaster loan. And, you know, all of a sudden had a thousand, fifteen hundred people who looked at that post because there was no clear information out that quickly about it. So I really just tried to be a thoughtful partner to folks. So what happened, I think it was as soon as August, August, September. I mean, your business was night and day from March. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. By the time I got to September, I was booking my lead product weekly. Um, I had to, I booked it out into actually out into August, into October. So um, a lot of places, I think I have spaces open at the end of the month right now, but um, a lot of places recognized, I think that they needed to do something different or at least they were open to new ideas. And that has been phenomenal for me and for my work, just to have people who are open to a conversation. And I think a lot of people just don't have the capacity. They're doing so many other things uh, in their community. They just need outside help to get to some of these solutions. Alana, I know that you're, you're almost too close to really see this, but in retrospect, you know, in March, it was it was tough and it was very scary because especially in your space, it was like they might all go bankrupt and they're definitely not going to invest in a consultant to help them do this work. But what you did was, in retrospect, this is not what you were doing, but in retrospect, really did a good job taking advantage of that situation because you showed up with content and help on your topic and became the trusted leader on this topic in a time of crisis. And it didn't take, it took a couple months. We couldn't have known that that was going to happen. But when it became time for them to say, okay, we're ready to make moves, you were the person that they were obviously going to look at. And that's the kind of, you can't, you can't know that those are the particular things that are going to unfold, but the very act of what you did, no matter when you do it, is creating that situation. It was just more apparent and obvious because of what happened and because of how extreme it was, how they all, like everyone stopped spending money and then oddly, everyone just got back in the game in like yeah. June, July, August. But, but you know, you, that wasn't going to happen if you hadn't been out there. Before and then. Yeah. And I think one of the big changes for me over the last six years is understanding understanding how to be helpful and how to be a support to people without giving away all of my answers for free. 
And I think that is a big challenge for me as a learning how to be a business as opposed to coming from the nonprofit or federal government, where my role was to give all of the answers away. And learning really through repetition and, and by seeing models like yours and, and other people's of where is that line between how do you how are you authentically, honestly helpful? And how do you still keep answers for people to buy? And I've struggled with that. I mean, I still do every time I write something, but I, I've struggled with that to really understand how do you become an asset by saying, here are some ideas, here are a lot of the questions that people are asking, and then here's also how I can help. Mm. Well, that was a big change in the deliverable of your lead product that really seemed to have a big shift. Yes. was actually, I think at one point I looked at it, I was like, just cut this in half, <laughs> get rid of half of this. Well, my first lead product, even before what I was working on this year, actually gave them all the answers. Right. <laughs> I, look, I look back at it and I have these eight elements of success that I talk about. And I actually, from the lead product interview that I did, I, I gave them a whole bunch of actions they could take and realized that I gave away so much that, that yes, they could work with me on the next step, but there was a lot they could just do without me because of how many answers I gave them. And, and I love helping people solve their problems and I love giving people answers, but that wasn't the right place to do it. And so um, I had to take a lot of that content back and rethink the way I did a lot of that work. Mm. And, and have trust in knowing that giving less information can still be incredibly valuable in some ways more valuable because if you give a lot of information uh you can actually overwhelm people where they not only have all the information but they also are paralyzed to do anything <laughs> right. because well you know before i hire her i should probably try to do all of this first right i think a lot of people default to that well if i can save some money she right. did just give me a lot of information maybe i can do this myself yeah. and it actually hurts the client because they're not going to do it themselves right and and i was giving them incomplete answers right it was answers right. based on on very little information as opposed to saying I have ideas about where I think you're going to need to go, but let's actually do the analysis and the research and the interviews to understand. And I think that's especially true when we talk about doing this work in community development with intention and purpose to be inclusive and to build the diversity of our business community, that we really need to do those interviews and the on-the-ground work to make sure that we're getting more voices and more diverse voices into the conversation. Um, as opposed to just sort of what we know off the top of our heads, which is what how a lot of that decision making has been happening for a long time. And and once you pared it down, took out the information and started giving them less, but maybe even more focused or clearer, shorter deliverables in that lead product, what was the experience from the clients? Oh, they loved it. I mean, I, I got people giving me feedback of this is completely clear. This is exactly what I need. You know, I absolutely understand where to go now. And tons of positive feedback. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> <laughs> it was very shocking. Yes. I mean, that, was, that was one of those things that I did on blind faith. I was like, well, Pia says this works. I can do it. It was um, very and, validating for me too. <laughs> um, and, 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 and they like it. And, and I think that I think that I'm, there's still something I'm missing in my equation that I'm still working on now of, 
how to help local governments get to the next phase faster, um, or I just have to live with that because local government decision making is slow. But I think that I, I think my system, I mean, I have a list next to me of like, what do I have to do every week at minimum to be consistent on my execution? And there's like four things on the list. There's not very much. And so then the other part of me is like, okay, creating new stuff. Cause I know I need something creative for my brain, mm-hmm. um, but it's very weird and good. Weird. Yeah. To feel like, okay, I know exactly what execution looks like right now. And that's a, I've never had that before. That's amazing. Yeah, I know. You told me you you feel like you trust your business now. Almost. <laughs> or you didn't used to trust <laughs> Yes. No, I mean, you know if you'll ever completely trust your business. That's Alana. fine. Yeah, I'm okay with that. <laughs> you like to be on your toes. I do. Let's I, be honest. It's true. <laughs> I, like, I like trying new things. It's. I mean, that's part of what I really like about having the business is having the opportunity not only to really help people and really make changes at the local level. But I love, I love learning new stuff. And, and honestly, that's a lot of what I get out of my business is that I'm constantly getting the opportunity to learn new things. Yeah, me too. And I think you can have all of this, these systems in your business that work like clockwork and that you can rely on. That is what creates the space to create the new stuff. Absolutely. And I also think and I'm really projecting because this is how I feel, that the like lack of trust or, or it, never, it never fully being there is partially because the goalpost is constantly being moved. Like the second you get to the place where you know you have a much clearer idea of what you do and you can trust. I mean, if you're selling, uh, if you're selling lead products every week, you can trust that if you just keep doing the things you're doing, you're going to have plenty of clients to work with too many is what uh, you posted at one point. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do if these all close because I don't have the time or space to work with them. But all of a sudden it's like, okay, but I'm trying to get the cohorts out. Like that's, I move the goalposts like that too. As right. soon as I kind of have what I was trying to get, I've already set my sights on the next thing that I'm going for. And I'm right. like, oh, I'm never going to get there. Right. Yes. <laughs> oh my you, gosh, how am I going to make that happen? You do have that in common, Yes. <laughs> So it's just good to remember. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. You know, and then life happens, right? I mean, it, one happens. of the things I appreciate about understanding my execution at this point is that life does happen and I have a family and um, I need the flexibility to be able to feel like I am really making my business thrive and being a part of my family and helping where I, I, where it needs help and where the right. people need help. And family only gets more complex as I get older is the only thing I've learned about it. And so having that, that combination and that space is, is really important to me. Yeah. And, and planning for that space. I think a lot of people don't plan, but life happens all the time. And we can't, if you plan your business where you're at the maximum capacity at all times, and then something happens and you have to check out for a couple of days. It's like the the walls fall in. Right. <laughs> like if you plan for there always needing to be a few days, you know what? You can take those days to continue working or you can take a vacation if you don't need them. But if you right. need them, they're there. Right. And that's happened to me in my business. I mean, as soon as yeah. I, I left and started the nonprofit and I started Recast City, you know, I've had years where we've had major major personal things going on. And when I look at my revenue numbers, you know, you can see exactly where it is because I had no systems and it was Mm -hmm. completely dependent on me being out there in front of people. And when I couldn't be out there in front of people, there was no other way for people to find me or get business or, or for me to work on stuff. And so 
it completely changes what it looks like going forward because of having that system so that as life happens, which it will continue to, um, there are a lot of parts of my execution that are actually not dependent on many of my hours anymore. Yeah, right. Yeah, I actually think in retrospect, a lot of my business was built the way it is because of my migraines. Just, oh, I mean, I think the whole reason I I never even considered getting a job was because of my migraines. You can't have a job when you just have to check out for a few days kind of often because yeah. <laughs> you can't relax. So you got to work for yourself. I mean, yeah. it's amazing how negative things can actually push you in a very positive direction. Well, I was also always someone who was very good at creating boundaries for work. I don't know why. I don't know. Yeah, that's very <laughs> I'm not really sure why that's always been a part of me, but I... I I mean, I think it was my upbringing, right? We always had family dinner. Yeah. Um, we always took family vacation, even if we weren't going very far. Um, and that was something that was really important to me in getting married and having a family. And even when I worked in the federal government and the nonprofit, I negotiated crazy flexibility in my schedule so that I could be around. And so I think that having my own business to some degree sort of push the boundaries of where, where are my boundaries for work and life? Um, which now with COVID and being home is, is even more pushed, but in many ways it's just more direct of, you know, I want to be around in the afternoon in case somebody needs help with homework. And that's not me stepping away from my job. Like we're we see in a lot of news of, of people, particularly women leaving the workforce, right? Because of the needs at home, which is really unfortunate, but that I can structure my day in a way, you know, I, I start my work day at 7.30 in the morning because my productive hours are really before 10 a.m. Like any new content is going to happen before 10 a.m. And so that I can structure the day the way I need to. And that's the beauty of being your own boss. It's so true. Owning your own business. Uh, that's what everybody wants. And you can get there. <laughs> but yes. you do need to take some steps. It's not going to just happen. <laughs> no, it's been a lot of work. It's, yeah. it's been a lot of very focused and purposeful work and really specific techniques too. Well, so before we go, one last thing, something that I really push in our program and my work with anybody is looking at the money on an annual basis instead of on a monthly basis. And you and I have had many heart to hearts about this. And so I was just curious if you wouldn't mind sharing your evolution with that. Like at first, like why, why, why did you do you, do you feel like you're looking at it on a monthly basis? And what did that feel like to be operating on a monthly basis? This is hard. I, like you talked about at the beginning, come from a pretty, from a money standpoint, come from a pretty conservative mindset of, of stability, wanting stability and being concerned about not having enough money. And I always looked at my business from the perspective of, do I have enough to pay myself a minimum amount every month? And if I didn't, that was crisis because of what I was talking about before, which my execution was totally not consistent and it was either there or it wasn't there. And so I didn't have any way to be able to say, this is what I'm projecting to do this year because this is the system I will use to get there. I've never had that before. And so... I also never had said, well, I mean, I could say like, if I did X number of these projects, 
because I had kinds of products a little bit before I even did your first boot camp. You know, and I could say I need to do a minimum of X number, but maybe I'm going to get a contract to do this, but maybe I'm going to do this. And it was sort of all over the place. I think the difference for me now is not only at the beginning of the year, but multiple times during the year, I've sat down and said, you know, what do, what do I, based on the products that I want to sell, how many of each of these products do I need to close to create the annual income that I want? And that if they all come at the end of the year, they all come at the end of the year, or if they all, you know, whatever it is, not that I can do all of them in four months, but um, I just looked at it more as a, I think honestly, as a business than I ever had before. And to be honest, I'm not comfortable with it at all. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I, 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 I do it and I sit with it. And, and part of what I've learned is to just sit with the things that I'm uncomfortable with and do them anyway, like all the other things we were talking about. But to know or to, to, to recognize that I have this system, I have the execution, the execution is working, and that I need to just, like you said, keep doing more of the same thing, and that it is resonating with people, and it is appealing to people, and people do need this kind of help, and to look at it on a, a bigger scale. I feel like I am laying a foundation in a way that I've never had. Systems, the software, the outreach, it, it's just it makes a lot of sense to me now and I'm getting the feedback coming out of it that I need. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, wouldn't wish COVID on us for any reason, but it kind of created a bunch of space to do all the things that so many people needed to do in their businesses in order to create that foundation to go big. It's really easy to take the clients as they come and put off some of this work. Right. But, you know, I see it as you can do this work here. You can do this work there. It needs to happen right. <laughs> in right. order to get to the next place. Right. I mean, and doing the program this year was was me making that commitment to myself that I was yeah. going to create the systems this year and really learn them. And create the systems that are setting you up to really capitalize on your book that's coming out next spring, yes. which you didn't even have that contract at the beginning of the year. And now you have a book going to publish. Yes. No, with a publisher. With a publisher and everything, which is why it doesn't come out till the spring. Um, yes, right. At the beginning of the year when we first spoke, I said, well, I guess I'll do this program so that if I find a publisher and my book can come out next year, that I will have done the groundwork to be prepared for that. I mean, that, that was the if-then statement at the beginning of the and year. And that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. The book will be coming out with Island Press in the spring of 2021. It's going to be huge. You it's will do a TEDx for that. I uh, sure. Yes, you that would be great. Absolutely will. By then, I'll probably want to talk about something else, but sure. Maybe you can do both. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> I can completely relate. Um, I'm so excited for where you're headed, Alana. It's been really fun watching you put all this in action. Thanks. Thanks for all the help getting me yeah. here. I'm so excited for you. Thank you so much for joining me today and for sharing. My pleasure. Thanks so much. If you know anyone in local government that would benefit from connecting with Alana, send them her website at recastcity.com and tell them to go download her eye-opening free training, The Cavalry Isn't Coming. I'll put links to both in the show notes at piasilva.com backslash podcast. 
For years, Alana was stuck on the feast or famine roller coaster, either hustling to get clients with tons of emails and calls and proposals, or so busy working with clients that she had no time to do business development for future clients, which would inevitably land her back in desperation mode once again when the projects ended. Again, hustling for her next clients, continuing that vicious cycle. She also had a laundry list of services to offer and relied on writing free proposals to pitch them. This meant that she was in a spot familiar to most service businesses of reaching out on social media, looking for clients to pitch online, and feeling slimy in the process. By changing her model to the badass business model, even though it was unheard of in her space, she was able to streamline her business to free her up to do what really moves the needle— building her authority online so she is now seen as a respected expert in her space. COVID stopped everyone in their tracks, and even though her clients needed her help desperately, they weren't ready to hire her back in April or May or June. But she kept showing up. And just a few months later, once everyone had adjusted a bit, she was the first person they turned to for help, And all of a sudden, she went from no clients to being booked out two months in advance. She made that happen. And she did it largely by staying laser focused on building her celebrity status, showing up to share her value online in talks and in articles, and doing so perfectly positioned her to get that book deal she wanted, but didn't know she could get just 10 months earlier. And she's feeling the snowball effect of these efforts now. That's what's so beautiful about laying the foundation of your authority online. It only gets stronger the more you do it. And you get bigger and better opportunities to leap to each next level the longer you stay committed. And this is absolutely possible for you too. It happens when you own your brand and voice and are seen as the authority in your space. When you are the go-to celebrity, everyone wants to hire you and they'll pay whatever high prices you want. But although you can outsource a lot of work, unfortunately, you can't outsource the core work of building authority online because it's you and your ideas that actually make you an authority and you have to be the one to show up and be that celebrity. But how can you do that when you're so busy running your business? You need a system and method that is designed to support your authority building. When done well, everything is simplified and you only have a few things on your plate. This frees you up to continually reinvest your time and energy into next leveling your celebrity and your business. And next leveling is what my program, Leap to Badass Authority, is all about. It's an intensive think tank for your business to catapult you to celebrity status. It's the roadmap on how, the group support from like-minded entrepreneurs on a similar journey, and it's direct support and attention from me for an entire year. If you are ready to commit to taking your business and life by the reins and refusing to settle for anything less than exactly what you want, 
Go to badassyourbusiness.com backslash leap and sign up to get notified when the application opens in November. You see, I've taken my business way past what I thought was possible even just a few years ago. And our business growth took a sharp turn up once I really doubled down on building my celebrity status. And though it was largely through my own efforts, I have constantly been engaged with programs, courses, coaches, mentors, and masterminds to help me stay focused so I could do it faster. If you're impatient like me, there is no question you will get farther, faster with a community in your corner and mentorship to help guide you and keep you headed toward the success that you want. I'm looking for 10 very special entrepreneurs to mentor to success in 2021 so I can give you guys the time and attention you need to take huge leaps next year. And hopefully you are one of them. Do you want to know what's really possible in your business? Whatever you decide, you are going to make happen. And that's what showing your business who's boss is all about. 